Why is it that good people do bad things? Why is it that God's people do evil things? Why is it that Christian people can do bad things? And just so that I avoid the trap of being super theoretical and pointing the guns out there, I want to ask this last question. Why is it that I can do sinful things? And if your experience is even just a fraction like mine, um, I would just want to help you pose that question to yourself. Why is it that you can do sinful things? Because it's interesting, isn't it, as we press on in our series about being human, and um, today we come to ugly and beautiful, we're reflecting on the fact that back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God has made us good. Um, That was his pronouncement over us. It was beautiful, in his image, able to do his will. But we find ourselves so often doing ugly doing what is sinful, we regularly do what actually breaks his image, even when we don't want to. That's why I find Romans 7 so helpful in a way, and we're going to come back to that in a little while. But it characterises being human, at least living this tension. Especially it characterises being Christian, living that tension. And I find it so helpful, that question in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, who will rescue us from this body of death? Because it can feel that heavy sometimes, can't it? Well, thanks be to God, he himself delivers us through the pure, sinless beauty of his obedient son, Jesus Christ, as Jesus' beauty and Jesus' obedience gets applied to us as we try trust in him. And that's what we're going to see today, that while we feel the effects of sin, God has overwhelmed that ugliness in Christ. And God's restored humanity in Christ's image. While we can struggle on, we are beautiful because Christ's beauty is given to us. And if you haven't guessed already, my my key verse today is Romans chapter 7, 24 and 25. And I want to read that for us before we pray and go on. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Um, What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll read on just a little bit more. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, which is good and I love, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, which has set you free from the law of sin and death. How good. Please join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made us good. You have set us up, actually, to know you and hear your word and obey. But because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, our lives are now characterised by that sinfulness and the curse that came because of their decision. Thank you for sending Jesus, who put his beauty in our place to swap for our ugliness and to take our sins so that we might have his beautiful, obedient righteousness. Thank you. 
Father, we ask for your help today to understand these things and for the conviction of the Spirit to fall on us so that we wouldn't just understand, but we would believe and live. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I wanted to start by doing something of a recap because Ian set up some helpful categories um, that are actually biblical categories, but just really helpful in their clarity for understanding um, just how we are because God has set it up that way. You might remember the C of created, the B of broken, and the R of restored. So we're just using that CBR as a bit of a grid to be thinking through what it means to be human. And so starting with the C, the created, we were created beautiful. Good, that's what God described um, the whole creation as being. But then when he created humanity, it was very good. So humanity is spoken over by God as being very good, beautiful, if we're just kind of picking up on the language of today's talk title, but not necessarily in appearance, because appearance is not described. And I find that really, really freeing, actually. Um, the goodness of humanity, the beauty of humanity has got nothing to do with how we look, but in being pleasing to God. And, and how is that the case? Well, what God has created in humanity shows his image. It reflects his sovereignty and his rule being over creation as people are under him in obeying his word and living in relationship with him and with each other. In harmony with him, his world and each other. It's so good, so beautiful. That's humanity. But I think the goodness and the beauty is even bigger than that in the creation of Genesis 1 and 2 and, and the beginning, well, almost the beginning of chapter 3. It's this. Because in, in that whole scheme, you have God who knew good and evil, God who manages the knowledge of good and evil, and humanity who leave the management of good and evil to God. There's the, the, the beautiful large picture of harmony and goodness and humanity are able to enjoy the world and life that he made and oversees. But the beautiful in the created turned ugly. And this is when the relationship broke. Good was considered bad. God's knowledge and management of good and evil needed overturning. And it was the moment when humanity not just shared the knowledge, but took the sole management of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the ugliness of sin. This is the essence of sin. It's putting yourself in God's place on really bad advice. It ruins the relationship with God. It ruins the relationship with each other. And it ruins the relationship with the created world. And humanity cannot do what Adam and Eve took a chance on doing. We cannot have the knowledge of good and evil and perfectly manage it. Only God can do that. And that's the torture that we still live with. Because we have an understanding of the perfect. We have an understanding of the good. We have an understanding of what is right. But our daily lives are characterised by the knowledge of it but not being able to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's awful. I, I hate that. Because I'm constantly failing in reaching what I know to be there. So it's not only ugly when we try to take it, it's grotesque actually as we watch ourselves carry on because it's a disaster. 
that we live, <laughs> the train wreck so often of our lives. Um, and I was trying to think of an example of this overload because when Adam and Eve first realised the reality of what lay behind the wall of God's knowledge of good and evil and his management of good and evil, it blows their minds. <laughs> they can't control it. Um, when I thought of a trivial example, I thought of Wallace and Gromit, the curse of the were-rabbit. Because what Wallace is trying to do in order to control the rabbit population is he's got a brain-altering uh, machine and he tries this experiment. So he puts, puts one hat on him and another hat on the rabbit and tries to send his thoughts back to the rabbit to get them eating different things rather than wanting to eat all the, all the vegetables in the gardens of the people in the village in which they live. And it just goes haywire. So the rabbit's thoughts come back to him in a very powerful way. And it's a, it's a very funny moment. It's just blowing his mind. Um, but a more serious example, I have heard um, the recounting of the moment when Adolf Hitler understood that Britain had actually entered the war against Germany and um, he realised that it was all over. And that was years before the end of the Second World War. Um, but but what, he, what he experienced was a total overload, realising this thing had just gotten out of control. Um, and, and many of us in this room have had that experience where um, what we just suddenly got into, even when we decided it, you might have taken a promotion and you, then you suddenly find out the reality on the other side of your boss's door when you actually sit in the chair of your boss and it blows your mind. It's overload. And... This is actually what has happened with Adam and Eve, and it's what we still live. And the Bible is so good at nailing the human condition. <laughs> this is what we and our lives are like. Sinful, ugly, and out of sync with the thing that we know to be there, but we just cannot line up with it. And as we know, it should be different, but we can never make it so. Um, I'm not going to spend really any time um, this morning speaking about why there is evil in the world, although I'm happy to keep talking about that. Um, the, the Bible does not spend much time on explaining why that might be the case, but it absolutely keeps reminding us that it is the case. Um, and so how do we live in this world um, that where evil is present, but what does God do about it? But it does actually keep presenting the conundrum of this existence. There is ugliness and there's sinfulness, and there seems to be a human capacity of beauty. And from time to time, these, these things surface, but they're constantly jostling together. We seem to have the ability to please God, but we constantly live in this context of displeasing him. And this is my, my next point, ugly and beautiful. Because it's also what we see in the life of God's covenant people. So I don't know about you, if you were following the life group material this week, when I opened um, to this week and I saw judges, I thought, what has this got to do with anything? And it was so helpful, actually, reading those three chapters, realising that the people of God who are part of the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham, who've been rescued and redeemed through Moses, and they find themselves restored to the promised land under Joshua and now the judges, they're just constantly swinging between ugly and beautiful, beautiful and ugly. And it's here that we meet Gideon. He is one of the judges, and these judges or saviors are people that God raises up to keep getting his people out of trouble, to help get them to, to repent and be rescued. But what we find in Gideon is that he himself needs a saviour. 
And here are some of the comments from our life group, if I, if I wrote them down correctly, as after, after we'd read through a couple of these chapters. Um, this just seems such a, a major seesaw, a pendulum, constantly between good and evil. These people seem so easily involved in the surrounding culture. It seems like they, they can just give no second thought to doing what displeased God. And I think my reaction was this, is Gideon actually faithful? Um, I don't know, maybe did you have that debate in your life group? Um, God tells him what he needs to do and then he chucks out a fleece and says, God, if you really intend for me to do that, can you just confirm it again? Well, he didn't need to do that. And guess what? God confirms exactly what he said in the first place. And Gideon himself moves so easily between beautiful and ugly and back again. So just let's read a couple of verses there in Judges chapter 8, which give us a bit of an idea of just how difficult it is, even as God's people and as God's human leader, to be human and live God's way. So this is Judges chapter 8, and I'm reading verse 23. Judges chapter 8, verse 23. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. I think he's got that right. Um, They don't need a human leader. (laughs) They need the Lord. Good, that seems like a good thing. Verse 27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. Seems a bit dubious. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Then verse 33. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals, that is the the fertility gods of all the people around them, um, which absolutely, utterly ignores the fact that their ancestors and everyone actually on the face of the planet comes from the creator God, who himself is the source of life. But it gets worse if you read the very last sentence of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, we hear this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. It was useful, I think, in, uh, to read then Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, as we studied this week. The heart is deceitful above all things. And that, that, was, that was a good kind of just interpretation of what had been happening in the life of God's people in Judges. They were just constantly self-deceived. They kept calling bad good, ugly beautiful, and sin right. And the Lord Jesus himself um, perhaps has a a harsher judgment of the human heart. And you can find this in John chapter 2, verse 24-25, where it says, um, Jesus did not entrust himself to um, a person because he knew what was in each person. So on one hand, this is such a relief to me because what I find is this sums me up pretty well. 
I swing between bad and good. I swing between um, what I know the Lord does not want and what I know the Lord wants. And it's a beautiful relief because it's like, ah, oh, wow, okay, you've got me. That is what I'm like, but I'm not alone. And on the other hand, it's a deep conviction because that doesn't seem to be good. <laughs> and it's not. It's just not. And I guess um, it was curious, actually, in our life group, and I'm, I'm sorry for exposing any of, any of the members here, but we got to the question which said, how do you find yourself identifying in, in the midst of all this? Now, it was quite telling because everyone was a bit... No, I really wanted to, to say. I was surprised about that because I'm always happy to fess up. Like, I, you know, I've just done it. It's so good. It's so helpful in a way. But it's so depressing, isn't it? Who wants to keep admitting to that? <laughs> Oh, really? Again? I'm being shown myself. But here's the point. Even in Gideon's day, but under the assessment of the Lord Jesus, humanity needs not just a makeover, but a complete change of heart. A heart that goes from being stony towards God to being soft towards him. And our beauty, the goodness, needs to be restored. So... Praise God, he doesn't abandon us to this. Here comes the Lord Jesus. And this is my next point. Jesus is completely pleasing to God. In the terms of, of, of our talk title today, he is beautiful. But he takes our sin and swaps his beautiful obedience for our ugly sinfulness. So beautiful takes ugly. And so I'm just going to lean back into the terms that I described before that, um, that have helped, been helpful to me as I've reflected on Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, the Lord Jesus knew good and evil. And he always left the management of it in the Father's hands. There is his beauty, among many, many other things that you could say. <laughs> so wonderful. But let me just remind us of that um, just from three episodes First of all, um, his temptation when Satan comes so shortly after Jesus' baptism and his ministry begins, um, the first thing is this cosmic battle between Satan and Jesus. And you can read about this in Luke chapter 4. But Satan's throwing um, three different temptations at Jesus. And in response to one of them, the Lord Jesus says this, and he's quoting Deuteronomy. Um, A person does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so what he's going to do is keep listening to his father and being obedient. So it's beautiful, stark contrast between what Adam and Eve decided to do and what Jesus will do. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, right towards the end, you can read about this in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is wrestling not once, not twice, but three times with living on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And he, he cries out to his father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then at his crucifixion, you can read about this in Mark chapter 15. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is a moment when Jesus does not abandon obedience to the Father. <laughs> He's simply describing what's going on as the Father turns away from him and lets our sin go on to Jesus. Jesus is so beautiful. 
And Peter sums this up so well. It's been good to be reminding ourselves of this recently in our series on 1 Peter. But if you're taking notes, you might like to just jot down 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 21 to 25 where we get this comment from the Lord through Peter about what was actually going on there at the cross. This is 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, in the beauty of his faithful, loyal obedience, took our sins, our ugliness, to swap for our sin. Beautiful takes ugly to make us clean, healed with God, reconnected to the creator of our souls. And one of our life group members expressed this so beautifully when she said, when I sin, I feel ugly. But when I focus on the beauty of Jesus... And his beauty, which has been given to me, I know I'm beautiful. And that's right. Because beautiful overwhelms ugly. And Mark Maynell, in his book, um, What Makes Us Human, and if you want to borrow a copy, you can find one on the shelf in our small library over here. He He puts it so well. Jesus is prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. This was the price for restoring us to the relationship with God that we were created for. We have infinite worth because we are both created and rescued. It's irrelevant how able or disabled we are, how apparently moral or evil we are, how bright or dull, rich or poor, beautiful or ugly. None of these matter in the end. Only that we are loved by the God who made and rescued us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Humans have unique dignity and value in God's cosmos. The creation established that. The cross redeemed it for all eternity. So a check question by way of application before I go to my last point. How do you see yourself? So in, in your mind and in your heart, how do you see yourself? Um, because because that's, that's the point of the wrestle here this morning. I, I'm going to say a little bit more about this in a moment. But it's just important for us to constantly check back in how do we consider ourselves in the light of the beauty of Jesus? Do we let God's truth actually come in so we let the beauty of Jesus be applied to us, or are we not? And so we're stopped short. I'm going to say something about a little bit more about that in just a moment. Now, here is the hope. The Holy Spirit overwhelms sin. Beautiful continues to overwhelm ugly. And so we're going to finish by looking together at Romans chapter 7. Have a look with me, and I'll, we'll read again just the, the short section of the passage that was read for us before. Romans chapter 7, from 21. And 
as you're finding that in your Bibles, I've got to confess, I was having a conversation about this with Ian during the week, and I said to him at that time, oh, I reckon Romans 7 is all about pre-Christian, and Romans 8 is all about Christian. And he said, no, 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 Romans 7, no, it's also about being Christian. And so I've repented um, as I've looked at this a little bit more. I think what Paul's talking about here in Romans 7 is that wrestle um, with sin that only comes when the Spirit's convicting us in light of God's grace, which he then goes on to talk about in chapter 8. But let, let's have a read together from Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I really delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And it's awful, isn't it, that, that realisation, living that tension, having the agony within you. But he goes on. That's, that's not the end of the story. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when the Holy Spirit is actually at work in a person, he agitates the spirit of the person so sin actually is a problem. You see, if the spirit is not working on you or the spirit is not in you, you don't care. You absolutely don't care. Uh, the Lord Jesus, as he's in his final discourse to his disciples, as he anticipates the Spirit coming, the Spirit will come um, to convict the world about me in regard to sin and righteousness. So when the Spirit's actually at work and, you, and your eyes are opening up, you see the Lord Jesus like, oh, I am a sinner. That was utterly my experience in conversion at the age of 14. Absolutely. So be encouraged this morning. If Romans chapter 7 actually resonates with you, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. <laughs> Not because you're someone without God and without hope. So the Holy Spirit agitates within us and convicts us of things that go contrary to God's goodness. It, he convicts us of our self-referentialism. He convicts us of our self-management. He convicts us of the things that we are actually doing that displease God, and he helps us understand that is displeasing to God. But then the Holy Spirit doesn't let the Christian stay there. He helps us know that sin is destructive, so we don't stay at verse 24. The Spirit helps us move to verse 25. That is, the alternative to our fleshly desires is to rely on the Holy Spirit to take us to Jesus, which is a state that's full of responsibility and possibility to be overwhelmed by his beauty and to be transformed to become like him. You see, it's a miracle of God's spirit that got you actually to be convinced of Jesus and trust him in your conversion and salvation. So the spirit is with you and in you. It's a miracle of God's spirit that you are alive now in Christ, risen with him, anticipating the resurrection to come. That's verse 11, Romans 8, verse 11. But it's a miracle of the spirit that the spirit's in you as a permanent guarantee that what God has started, he will bring to completion. To see where the emphasis lies is not on you. It's actually on God's power by this Holy Spirit to do it. Praise God. But here's the check question again. Where do you go in your mind and your heart 
Are you stuck on verse 24? What a wretched woman I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Is that you? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? My sinfulness. Is this you? So effectively, are you saying that your judgment is better than God's and that your sin is bigger than Jesus? Or that your problems can't be overcome by his powerful grace, worked already at the cross? So let me say it with a, with a sweeter tone. What you're actually risking is not letting God be God over you. Because what you're saying is, I'll decide. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's the very thing Jesus would never do as he kept putting his hands in the, in the hands of the Father. And so what the Spirit is actually doing, therefore, is leading us to verse 25. But are you stuck at verse 24? Because I want to encourage you, Jesus is bigger and he is more powerful. So this is how I reflect on it. As I find myself being dragged and pushed and wrestling with the Spirit to actually go to verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 are so, so important to me. Because it's there that we hear, um, if we say we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar and his Spirit is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do I feel like I'm worthy to be forgiven? No. <laughs> Do I find it hard to accept that I can be forgiven? Yes. Do I let God keep being the one who talks to me and decides on that? Reluctantly, I do. <laughs> and what happens when he does? Well, he reminds me that Jesus is bigger. He reminds me that Jesus' blood is more powerful. He reminds me that I can be forgiven, and guess what? I am. I can't believe it. Um, even as I look back across this week, there are things that I've done um, and that I'm not proud of, and if some of these things I could have taken back, I would, and I'm sorry for them. But does that change my standing in Christ with God? No, it doesn't. just doesn't. doesn't. And does that keep transforming me? Yeah, it does. It really does. <laughs> Because where do I go back to? Well, I let the Spirit drag me to verse 25. And I let the Spirit drag me to chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for me who is in Christ Jesus, because through him, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Can I find myself thinking the thoughts at the end there of verse 25? So then I myself in my mind, as I'm a slave to God's law. I love the Lord, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin? Absolutely. I hate that feeling all the time, <laughs> but I love Christ's victory. And again, it's this fact, faith, feeling kind of logic that we need to remind ourselves of. What's the fact? It's what God says to me in Christ and what he's done in Christ. What do I put my trust in? Jesus. What's the feeling? Well, that might come. Yeah, I'm forgiven. I am righteous. The beauty of Christ has been applied to me. So when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus and he loves me. He thinks I'm terrific. I'll take it. Three thoughts for you in conclusion, just to finish. Can I encourage you to let Jesus become increasingly more beautiful as he is? Um, and here's how you might like to let that happen. 
maybe a couple of times a year, can you read a gospel slowly and, and just keep your eyes on Jesus? What is he like? And add it together and add it together and add it together. It's one of the blessings, actually, of leading foundations because what we do, one of the things that we do is work through the whole of the gospel of Mark because we really try to see who Jesus is, why he came, what that means. And I just reminded that meeting with a brother this week to read another chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Um, and it's, he's remar- Jesus is remarkable. He's so good. He's so true. He's so obedient to the Father. He's so powerful. He still submits. He's still caring. He's gracious. Um, and what happens in me, at least, as I keep gazing upon Jesus, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And increasingly, these other things just get smaller and smaller. And they lose their attraction. So whatever that sin, whatever that, whatever that temptation might be, it's just, just not as sweet or as beautiful or as lovely or as lasting as the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can I encourage you just to read through a gospel slowly? And you might just like to even do that with someone else if it's going to be helpful. But secondly, um, pray specifically. Um, I've been really helped by this resource called um, Be Thou My Vision. It's a contemporary kind of take on the Book of Common Prayer, which we know in contemporary Anglican world as um, the Australia or the prayer book for Australia or an Australian prayer book. And what this guy's done, Jonathan Gibson, has just gone through um, church history and added other prayers of intercession and reflection and repentance. And the prayers of intercession in particular have been helpful to me because there's a bit of a pattern where they are praying with hope and asking for God's help to come in and change. Because I think, I've been rebuked a little bit by that because I think where I found myself was resigned to my fate. I've got some abiding sins, abiding patterns of behaviour. I don't think they're going to change. And, and I was stopped there. And I've been really helpfully challenged to pray more proactively, expecting that God will break in. And it's been really, really helpful. So let me uh, just share small excerpts of two prayers. Lord Jesus, you are the second and new Adam. Clothe me with yourself that I put away all evil desires and lusts and crucify and slay in me the dominion of the flesh. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Why not? <laughs> and, and here's the second one. Father God, be light to our darkness, wisdom to our folly, and manifest your strength in weakness. Remember us according to the favour which you bear to your own people. Stir us up to seek your face and to lay hold of your covenant and make us find that it is indeed good for us to draw near to you and to wait for you in the name and merits of Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. I find it helpful when other people's prayers can be prayed. Um, That's why I I appreciate the prayer book. I appreciate this resource. And can I commend it to you? Um, It's just been so helpful. And again, like I said before, I've just been rebuked and challenged. No, the spirit can get in. And there can be change that comes. And I want that. And so I will pray that that happens. So can you pray specifically? And lastly, um, as you do this, expect real but fractional change. This is what I mean. I think the Bible actually does helpfully describe that 
finding yourself in, in a fairly major sinful act is a, is a matter of multiple steps that, are, that can be quite small and fractional to get a person there. Right? So sanctification, even with the miraculous help of the Spirit, will also be fractional in the other, other direction. But it's really good. So in praying the specific prayer for the Spirit to be in breaking and be transformational, expect gradual change. And gradual change is good change. Okay. But that's how the Lord might want to do it in you. I'd be glad if you took a massive leap and we might celebrate that together. But I know in my own life it can be more fractional. But let's pray about that now. Would you please join me? And let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus' beauty. Thank you for his power and his submissive, obedient love for you and his service of us. Please help us to gaze upon the Lord Jesus' beauty, that he might get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we might understand his power more, that as we trust him and confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, please work that transformation in our lives by your Holy Spirit. And we ask even today, Lord, for the things that are troubling us that don't please you, Please change them one baby step at a time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.